seriously popular. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In today's episode, can Rashford turn it round at United? Is Klopp a genuine Premier League great? And are we just an angry country? I'm Ian Lederman. I'm Chris Sutton. And it's all kicking off. Even when United do win, they seem to lose. And what I mean by that, is there's another controversy, there's another talking point away from the field, and once again, it's Marcus Rashford. Yep, and uh, I just think Marcus Rashford uh, is like a good few Manchester United players at this moment in time. I think he thinks he's untouchable, um, and his behaviour in the week it hasn't been uh, the first time where, uh, where he's had a misdemeanour. It's been continuous. He has... No respect for the manager uh, from the actions which we've seen and no respect for his teammates. And and that's the bottom line. So he's probably thinking, I'm going to outlast Ten Hag uh, anyway. But he's out of control as far as I can see. Now, let, let's just briefly recap on what, what we know, which was that Marcus Rashford went to Ireland um, to see a friend. Um, he went out. We know that he went out on the Wednesday night. That was the uh, briefing from Manchester United. Um, didn't play yesterday because he's because he's ill. But there is now a suggestion that he was also out in uh, Ireland on the Thursday night, and that would have put him into kind of trouble. Given that United were training the next day, that is the issue that we're dealing with here at the moment. Now, as as everything in football, sometimes you can read more into what people don't say than what they do say. And that is what we're at. That's where we're at now with Eric Ten Hag and this issue. So mm. Ten, Hag, Ten Hag was asked about Rashford's admission yesterday. And um, he was asked on the television um, and said that it was an internal matter, which obviously set the hairs running even faster than they were already. But after the game, in the, the general press conference, this was put to him. Um, he was asked, do you feel you have been lied to? He replied, we will deal with it. I will deal with it. Is it not acceptable for players to lie about their whereabouts? Maybe we should now have questions about the game. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There's a there's Ten Hag's opportunity to put the issue to bed. He's been suggesting he's saying nothing, but he's saying everything there. 
hasn't he? Uh, and, and that and that is exactly it. That is exactly it. Now we haven't heard from Marcus Rashford, and at some point maybe we will. I suppose we have to leave the door open for there to be a rational and reasonable explanation. But if there is one, it's not forthcoming as yet. And his manager and his manager certainly seems comfortable with the suggestion being out there that Rashford once again has. Uh, veered off course now. Well, but just on that, every everybody has a, a, a right of reply. But uh, you can't tell me that Eric Ten Hag would have gone down the route which he went down, which you've just said, uh, if if he didn't believe he was right. He, he knows, Co- you know, he correct. he knows Rashford has overstepped the mark uh, once again. I mean, he's, it's just it, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's twenty six now, Marcus Rashford, that he has. Such a lack of respect for the manager. He, you know, he is he, making his feelings quite clear, isn't he, Marcus Rashford? But he's not the only one um, in the Manchester United dressing room. And and this is what Ten Hag, and I feel sorry for Ten Hag, but essentially, um, you know, this all falls on him, doesn't it? He he can't get control. Ten Hag will eventually end up leaving and, and Rashford will uh, will stay on and all the Manchester United fans further down the line will love Marcus again because he's Manchester United through and through but his actions have been utterly disgraceful. Just a little bit of history here as well. This is this is uh, on the back of the Daily Mail today we described it as th- three strikes and out question mark for Rashford. The first two strikes being last season when he was late uh, for a team meeting and was therefore dropped for a game at Wolves, I think. And then this season, after United had performed pretty badly in losing a Manchester derby, Rashford went out um, 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 in Manchester to celebrate his birthday. There was absolutely no contravention of club rules or anything with that transgression. But, again, Ten Hag didn't see it that way. He, he, he said publicly then that he would speak to Rashford about it. Ten Hag's line on discipline is a pretty firm line. It, it, it does. It doesn't move. Rashford it's is just just like every football. Rashford, club. Well, some managers are more flexible than others. Let's are face they? it. Well, Charles Ferguson used to give used to give Eric Cantona pretty much um, pretty much free reign to do what he wanted because he knew he would deliver on the field. But let's not let's not go into that. Managers can be, I suppose, slightly different. Ten Hag is very hard line on on these matters, and I'll, I'll say a couple of things here. The first is that I don't know what Rashford. Rashford's view on this is whether he's feeling unfairly maligned or put upon or unfairly criticised. I actually don't know. What I do know is that at Manchester United, there is a view within the football club that Rashford is not having Ten Hag. That is what they feel inside that that football club. That is what they feel. That has been um, communicated to me. And if that's the case, then it would appear as though Well, of course, there can only be one winner. Ten Hag here clearly is prepared to die on this hill of of discipline. We've seen it with Jadon Sancho. Now we've seen it with Rashford. And if he does die on this hill, and if he does leave the football club, you know what? Respect to him. At this moment in time, with his actions, he seems to be a player who thinks he's bigger than the club. He, He thinks he can just do what he wants. And I'm afraid football... Clubs shouldn't work like that, and and Ten Hag has always been, uh, you know, striving to to get the correct discipline in at Manchester United. 
But hence, um, you know, you can you can marry up the the indiscipline to Manchester United's performance on the field. And this season, they have regressed. They have gone backwards, uh, and there's been. A bit more, it seems to me to have been a bit more positivity uh, around the club because of uh, Sir Jim Radcliffe taking uh, over the sort of football operations, uh, getting the guy in from uh, from Manchester City, and you think, right, mm. well, this is the club now turning a corner and moving forward. Yeah. And yet, within the dressing room, there still seems issues. You mentioned you mentioned Rashford and Bruno Fernandes' uh, comments after the game. Um, I'll, I'll just read them out. We had chances to make it 3-0, but everyone wanted to score and get their goal and everything. And sometimes we don't get the best decision for the team. So I don't, he's talking. That, I, I, mean, that's I don't pretty, mind that, it, that's pretty, that, But that's pretty remarkable. So, you, you know, the captain of Manchester United coming out publicly and and just telling everybody that, uh, that, that it's everyone for themselves. But we all know, because the stats are out there, that Garnacho and Anthony don't pass to Rasmus Hoyland. So maybe the captain of the team, come on, we've we've dug Bruno out many times. That's a last resort, though. We've That's what I'm about to say. We've dug Bruno out many times on this show. But maybe for once, he's actually showing a bit of leadership and saying, you know what, the only way to change this is to publicly shame them into passing the ball to the centre forward. I, I but, don't mind but, it. But that, but said, that's a, that's a last result. That's something which he should be saying within the confines of the dressing room. But, he's, just, he's, just, he's just letting everybody know that things aren't right within the dressing room. At, uh, but maybe at, he has said it United. in the dressing room and it's not worked. Maybe okay. he has said it. Maybe this but, is a last but, resort. But that tells you that there isn't harmony at the club. It, and then, it, then you chuck the Rashford situation in. Uh, you know, I feel sorry for Ten Hag. What, what I will say about Rashford again is that my, my concern for Rashford is that if he were to leave by United, look, his contract is until 2028. Signed a new contract last year. But if, say, he were to leave Manchester United, I think there's a danger that he disappears. And what I mean by that is that, say he leaves Manchester United, I'm, I, I'm, this is total speculation, right, but it's hypothetical, goes to, goes to Chelsea, right, goes to Tottenham, goes to, a, goes, to a club, goes to a club abroad. I tell you what, he could, he could disappear into that void in which quite a few uh, former Manchester United players have fallen previously. It's quite, it's just quite a, a history of players leaving Manchester United and not going on to do very well, and he could be another one and the concern for United is that as they move forward under Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos and uh, you mentioned the new chief exec from City Omar Barada um, they're going to have an awful lot of players to replace before long I know Mm. we don't know what will happen with Rashford Sancho ain't coming back anytime soon Greenwood isn't coming back Uh, Johnny Evans is on a a short contract how long is Casemiro going to stick around how long is Christian Eriksen going to stick around what what about Varane? Now you've now you've got Rashford as well. All those players, all those players that we are mentioning, even if only half of them go, they've got to be replaced. Mm. They may not be good enough, or they may not be performing, but they are bodies in the squad. They ne- they are going to need to be replaced. It's extraordinary, really. It is extraordinary, um, and it, it's not it's not just that, but it's actually getting the harmony right uh, within the club at this moment in time. You have. You have uh, players in that dressing room who are, who just do what they like. You have to have everybody pulling in the same direction, and that's the challenge for uh, for Sir Jim Radcliffe to to get that harmony at the club, um, and yeah, everybody pulling in the same direction. 
Now, talking about harmony, everybody was certainly pulling in the same, dire- pulling in the same direction and <coughs> singing from the same uh, hymn sheet, literally, at Anfield yesterday. The the love for Jurgen Klopp, um, I think, is probably only just beginning in terms of in terms of this longest of goodbyes that he's about to wave. Now, we've had uh, three days now, I think, yeah, three days to digest the, the Klopp news. I mean, you don't get many bombshells in football these days because most things leak uh, onto social media or in, the, or in the kind of traditional mainstream media and Klopp's decision to leave didn't leak. So when it dropped on Friday morning, it did it was one of those sporting issues, at least, that was kind of, or sporting pieces of news that was kind of heard around the world. Um, I've had a two, three days to think about it now, and I'm trying to get my head around why it feels so big. Because managers leave all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens, you know. Mourinho leaves constantly. Uh, you know, Wenger left, Ferguson left, Guardiola will leave. Um, I, and I think I've worked it out. I think the reason that this feels so enormous is that most eras end in a natural, the natural place. So, for example, Arsene Wenger's era at Arsenal left because he couldn't do it anymore. Arguably, should have left five five years before. People like Mourinho are very much kind of shock and awe, boom and bust managers. So they come and they go. There's also a feeling that harsh. there's also a feeling that when Guardiola goes, he will go at a, a, a kind of a a time that feels right. Klopp is going, and this is why it, this is why it affects more than people at Liverpool. I think Klopp is going at a time when it feels like there was so much more left to give, not just to Liverpool but to the Premier League, and that rivalry, particularly with Guardiola, it's almost like it's having its legs cut off when it's at its prime. And I, to me, that is why this feels big because it feels like it's for everyone else's from everyone else's point of view. The wrong time. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. But it's interesting. Last season, when he wasn't doing so well, and all these rumours, um, you know, were coming uh, out. You know, his they had that sort of seven-year rich mm. um, situation at, uh, at at Dortmund with uh, with Jurgen Klopp, and there was talk talk of you know has he lost his way a little bit? Um, but he's he, he's had to rebuild this Liverpool team this season, which. Is what makes it interesting. It's, it's just I I I feel sad that he's leaving. Yeah, because he's he's been such a giant. He's you know charismatic, but it's the it's the challenge uh, which, since he's been in at, at, at Liverpool, it's how Liverpool have pushed Manchester City. As I said on the last pod, you know, with, without Klopp, Manchester City would have just mm. romped abs- mm. absolutely everything. I suppose that you know that there are also people out there who who was think well it's the end of an era with Klopp but looks like Salah will move on at the end of the season. Possibly, yeah. Would the likes of Van Dijk think well, you know, Klopp brought me into Liverpool. This has been a, a great success, and you know maybe I'll think about. Won't go where? Well, just another challenge because you know it. Uh, I think it will. I think it will ha- have had a massive impact on the, you know, on the players and the team, and they'll be they'll be desperate to to for Klopp to leave on a high and to win the Premier League, and if they can win four trophies, that would that would be uh, remarkable. But you know, we just we just don't. You can, we can't speak for individuals like Van Dijk, but but maybe. You know Robertson as well. Maybe they'll see that as the the end of an era, and 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 
you know, Klopp having a clean break, taking all his staff as the right time to move on? I don't see it. I mean, if you're, if you're sitting in Manchester or sitting in London, you'd be thinking, yeah, I hope so, I hope so, bring it on. I don't see it. I don't, I don't, we, and we know Salah might, you know, Salah's got ambitions and Salah's a, Salah's a world-class, elite-level, top five in the world footballer. He will have choices. Don't, you know, the other guys, brilliant, brilliant footballers, where are they going to go, really, that's going to kind of, where are they going to go? Where's Van Dyke going to go? Where are they going to, where, where's Van Dyke going to go? He could go to, like, any enormous club. Well, you and I have said before that we don't think he's quite as good as he was two, three yeah, years ago well, before the injury. Well, I, I, think, I think this season that his form has, has got better and better and he looks like he's getting back to his imperious mm, best. Maybe. So let's where's get, he going to go? Let's get into, let's get into successes. Let, look, we don't know. I'd love to sit here and say that I had an inside track on... on uh, That's your job. On what well, it is my job, and it's one, part, part of my job that I'm clearly not very good at. So it'd be great to know, and we don't. So let's just run through a quick of the ones that have been mentioned, and I'm gonna, I'll am going to i do my bit. So I'm going to say, Xabi Alonso, um, great, brilliant job at Leverkusen. He's only been doing it for a year or so. Is he, is he too young? Uh, De Zerbi at Brighton, brilliant impact at Brighton, temperamental, temperamental character, likes to go, you know, kind of uh, head-to-head with the people he works for. Does that fit? Thomas Frank, great job at Brentford. Football's a bit direct. Told me in an, inter- told, told me in an interview that I did with him a couple of years ago that he only wants to manage for 10 years. He only wants to manage for 10 years and he's, al- and he's already done, si- done six of those. So you're, so you're holding him to that. So and if, if he gets an unbelievable offer from Liverpool, th- you're gonna, saying, well, I'm going to throw it at him. I'm going to say, Thomas, you told me you, <laughs> you told me you were going to be up a mountain in Patagonia. If he got offered the Liverpool job, he would, he would jump. He would walk to Liverpool. This is what Thomas Frank said to me. I've got, I've got it written here. I'm addicted to football. It's a privilege to be part of it. But it would need to be an unbelievable offer before I'd say yes. It's the freedom. Football traps you. We have maybe four international breaks where you can travel a bit or have some downtime. Then there are the summer breaks, but my children are older, it never really fits. So I really, really think that soon I will travel. That's what he said. I'm not saying that, I'm not even saying he's on the list. It's just interesting. I know who you can change the mind. I know who you're gonna mention, so you might as well get it in. you might as well get it out there. No, but if you're talking about a fit uh nobody can replace Jurgen Klopp. Mm. But someone who has the stature and the presence to uh, to go in and and handle that situation at Liverpool because it will be no doubt tough to handle. I I Say you, touched on, you, you touched on uh, Alonso. I agree with you with Alonso. Uh, he's still a rookie manager as such, and would it be the right time? Does he does he need a longer apprenticeship? I suspect that he does. Uh, um, you know, Steven Gerrard's name is, comes up because of his connection, but I think Aston Villa has, um, you know, done him in, in terms of the way you know would Liverpool think about him. But Ange Postecoglou, oh, would, there would, it is, um, it's would, there. Would, would, would fit style of football. He's got the experience. He's won things, um, and he has a bit of clout. And they'll need a manager with a bit of clout to to handle the situation. I mean, it's a. It's a hospital pass, isn't it? Well, it is. Get, get, it get, is. Get, getting that. It job. is a hospital pass. I, I, I'll tell you one thing: the next manager of Liverpool will not be Hans Postecoglou. But, um, but it you is. Sure a, about that? I'd put. Well, I'd be. Okay. I'd eat my hat. Okay. I'd eat my hat. 
what was it we said last year? Eat my northern clogs. That, yeah, was, a, that was a phrase from last year, wasn't it? Yeah. That was before we stopped being rude about the north, or you stopped being rude, <laughs> rude, rude about uh, the north. Before we move out of this subject, what is one thing that does interest me is um, I was talking to a, a Premier League manager at the end of last week, and Klopp is massively respected in the managerial community in England. Of course, he is. His football's a mate. His football's been impressive. His, his win rate, his trophy haul is all incredibly impressive. He's not liked as much as he's not liked as much as you might think think he is. I think there's but, but, but from who? Hmm? Well, no, I think his kind of Klopp's demeanour, the stuff he does on the touchline. I think I think there's a there's a respect for for Klopp from some of the other managers without there being an enormous amount of, amount of warmth. And I was told quite an interesting story about. Do you remember? In the, um, it seems ages ago now, in the the lockdown season that when Liverpool actually eventually won won the league. And during the lockdown, the managers, Premier League managers, 20 managers, used to have um, Zoom meetings. Oh, not, not every week, but they probably had two or three during that awful time when we all didn't know what was going to have. And, and the managers would, would go on and, um, and that, there was a big debate, for example, at the time about introducing five substitutes and managers would put their views forward. And you won't be surprised to know that, that the one who was really, really forceful always at the front of those meetings, getting his point of view across, leaning in, to the to the to the screen was your was Jurgen Klopp. You're having He's, a pop at him. I'm not having a pop at him. Leaning into no, I'm saying that, no, it's indicative of, of the forceful nature of, yeah. of his of his personality. So let me ask you this: of all them, yeah, it's hard because it, it's four years ago. So I'm relying on you to remember exactly who was working in the Premier League at that time. <clears throat> but which manager do you think those those Zoom meetings used to sit there with his feet? On his desk, looking away from the screen. Oh, which <clears throat> man? Well, Pep. Nope. Jose. Jose. Yeah, <laughs> should have. Yeah. Just gave this. Just not. Just yeah. Gave Short this, shrift. This not feeling of complete yeah. ind- indifference, um, and it got me. Th- it got me thinking about what those Zoom meetings m- must have been like. Can you imagine what they must have been like? So you got Klopp, <laughs> Klopp, Guardiola, uh, Mourinho. Um, Arteta, uh, Ancelotti at the t- mm. at the time, big hit exactly, yeah. and then then you got Steve Bruce and you got uh, Sean Dyche, uh, Roy Roy Hodgson. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> what it must have, what it must have been like? Because you know what it's like on Zoom, when people when you try and talk over each other, it doesn't work, does it? No, it doesn't no. work. Yeah. So you'd probably have you know Roy Roy you on mute you on <laughs> you on mute Roy you on you on mute oh, I'd be like he'd probably eat them Roy Sean turn yeah. your camera on Roy would probably do what I do on these things I have to get one of my kids in to yeah I exactly to, would be that exactly yeah to get me yeah. back on track yeah. that's it abs- absolutely anyway I don't know I just found myself thinking about that when I was in the taxi this morning kind of and Klopp so Klopp was the the, the no driver. he's the alpha male yeah. that's the point and you know that you know that habit that he's got of standing on the centers on the t- on the center line halfway yeah, yeah, line yeah. Before, before a game games, yeah. staring at the opposition that really winds that really winds some of the other managers up oh, that God. really that re- <laughs> some, how, how does that how does that wind? somebody somebody said to somebody me like, someone really? said to me if he'd have done if he'd have done that when i'd have been playing <laughs> i'd have kicked a ball at his head that's what they said. Who, who, who said that? That's what they said. Who said that? So, someone I know. So, uh, let how me... do, just so how does that how does that wind that what? person up? I need to get to the bottom of that. A manager just watching because it's intimidation. It's intimidation, isn't it? It's intimidation. 
but also people in really people in football people in football are often suspicious of things that people haven't done before and that is and I can't remember a manager ever doing that before can can you I, I well, looking watching the opposition warm up come on look look he could do it from the side he could do it from the sideline he could do it from maybe 10 yards inside his own half he stands right on the halfway line and stares at the at the opposition warming up come on I think intimidation. Who was, who was the? Uh, Come on, who was, intimidation. Who was the Wimbledon player? Was it Vinnie Jones who hit someone in a tunnel before the game for Bradford? Who well, was that? Who, who I'd was say that, that would be a pretty was, decent that guess. Was, that was that was intimidation. I'd say that <laughs> before the game. That's, hool, that's hooliganism and, and uh, who sack. was that? That may not have been. What? Him. I just punched someone I before think, a game. Was there? Was there not a game at Bradford that, that year before the game? Anybody, anyone, anybody listening to this podcast is aware of a time when a player, maybe Vinnie Jones, punched an, op- an opponent in the tunnel before a game. Please let us know. And indeed, if you were that player, <laughs> on the, either the one giving it out or taking it, please get in touch. We'd like to hear that story. Now, let's play a little bit of Five Aside. Are you ready to rank off? It's time for Five Aside. Last week... Uh, our t- my challenge was to name my f- top five managerial uh, meltdowns, and we'll get to that in a minute. Today, with using Jurgen Klopp and his impending exit from Liverpool as a theme, Chris, I'm going to ask you to name your five best Premier League managers. I think if we'd have thrown it open to mm. of all time and we'd have started involving Clough and Revy and Shankly and Paisley, we'd have been here all day. So we're gonna do the best five Premier League managers in ascending order. Mm. As I say every week. That's five, four, three, yeah, two, uh, one. There was football before the Premier League. I know. Though, which this this I has upset a lot of it. me a little bit. I think yeah. this is I think this is pretty straightforward, and most people would agree with my order. At number five, I will say Arsene Wenger. Um, you know what he did at Arsenal, uh, the ninety seven ninety eight team, the, the greatest Arsenal team I've ever seen, but invincible as well. He would be uh, in at five. At four. Jose Mourinho, the special one. Feet on the desk. Uh, feet on the desk. But when he when he came in, he was cocky. He was arrogant. But boy, did he back it up. The you know the Chelsea team, which he was manager of, absolutely phenomenal. At three, Jurgen Klopp got Liverpool back to um, to their glorious best. Won a Champions League. Won a Premier League. Uh, totally transformed uh, the Liverpool team. Uh, at two, Pep Guardiola brand of football which he's played with we've never seen the likes of of the football which uh, Pep's Manchester City have played in the Premier League won a Champions League now uh, been such a dominant force with Manchester City at number one it's it's obvious head and shoulders uh, above everybody else Sir Alex out there on his own 13 Premier League titles a couple of Champions League uh, in there as well, so pre- pretty straightforward that actually. It's hard to it's hard to take issue. Before I do take issue, um, <laughs> I will um, just ask you one question: If you were doing your five from all time, would Fergie be on top of that list as well? Because I think he would be. Because I think he would be of mine. It's just because of longevity. Mm, just because yeah, of longevity. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Just above but, pa- but, for me, just above Paisley. Yeah, for me. I if mean, we were doing for, that for, one, for, for that one, yeah, Paisley, Jockstein would would have to be in in the mix. Because um, the thing with Fergie well. is, okay, again, somebody will no doubt correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's just the sheer longevity and the yeah. fact that Klopp is going 
after eight and a half, nine years, because he's because he's worn because he's worn out. Good because point. Guardiola will will go in the next two or three years. By which stage he'll have done about ten, which is a lot. But he's not even halfway to what Ferg. It's just a long longevity. Wenger couldn't do the even Wenger couldn't do the longevity. He tried, but he was a shadow of himself by the end. Mm. So. Fergie would be top of my all-time list. Um, yeah, so it, it, that's that's a great uh, no. point. You know, physically, mentally, the toll it takes yeah. on uh, on on managers, and yeah, it's it's, it's remarkable how Alex I, went on for. And all I'd say with your list of five in the Premier League era, I would I would have Wenger further up that list. Would you? What, uh, did he I'd, win a Champions I'd League? Probably, I'd, so. I'd, I would probably switch him and Jose around. Would like you? I said before, it's not, so you'd like, have you'd have you say up the list, you'd move him up a place. Well, well, it's 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 hard to argue with your five, but I'm just trying, and I think I've had Ranieri. When, when you said, I tried to look over the course of of time. I think Wenger, it's a cliche, but it's true. Wenger taught us a lot. He did. Yeah, he, he did, taught yeah. us a lot. Yeah, and you know, and and he contributed so much more than the success he brought on the field. So I would just, and Jose didn't really. What did Jose teach us? <laughs> not sure what Jose taught us. Oh, um, re- it, it was remarkable what what Mourinho. Uh, it was a force know, of nature did, when did, he first turned up. Yeah, but I mean, I, I played in the the Celtic team which lost the UEFA mm. final to him in two thousand and three. They won the Porto. Champions League. Yeah, yeah, Porto won the Champions League with yeah. you know that Porto team, which was remarkable. But then to to come over. And sit in a press conference and call himself the special one. I mean, whatever you guys were thinking. But then he backed it up. He did. And, you know, he was he, he was brilliant he in was the a early force, days. Was, and then he turned a little bit moody he was, in his latter days, hasn't he? Like, he? like us all. A little bit moody. That's like saying I'm a little bit short. Um, he, he, he was a force of nature, Arino, for, for, for sure. And I'll tell you a little story that just pops into my head. They were, Fergie, we're talking about Fergie a little bit. Fergie was so obsessed with Chelsea because they worried him. They worried him because of the money they had. Um, Fergie changed a lot of, of what United did, for example, in pre-season because Chelsea realised under Mourinho hit the ground running every season. Win, 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 win. There was no getting into a season slowly. Fergie changed the way he did pre-season because of Mourinho and he saw him as such a threat that the night that they sacked him, that they sacked Mourinho, we were on a, a plane coming back from a Man United European game. It was back in the days when you travel with the team. Those days have gone now. And we were sitting at the back. And the, I think the news broke. So I think United had been playing in Portugal or something. Chelsea had been playing a European game somewhere. Or, and he, and it, the news broke just on takeoff that he'd gone. It was the first time Fergie ever, only time Fergie ever came down the back of the plane, ever, to see us lot, and which was to ask whether it was true. Because he couldn't, he couldn't believe. Then, when he turned he, around, did he give a he, little? Absolutely, fist bump? he couldn't believe. He couldn't believe what what he was hearing. Anyway, look, it's a debate. It's a great debate. I think would have um, had Brian Clough in if it was the all time. Uh, absolutely. So, look, please um, get in touch on socials. Um, email us, message the show. Please let us know what you think because it's a fascinating, um, it's a fascinating subject. Just quickly on last week's, which was my top five managerial uh, meltdowns. Do you want to? Do you want to reassess? Not going to go into them all. I'm just going to say that well, my number one was Phil Brown giving that team talk on the pitch at at, yep. um, at the Etihad at, at City. I've got three absolute corkers here that we've had on. Uh, this is from Shane McGowan S on uh, Twitter. He says Brazilian manager Saldana confronting journalists with a revolver 
after criticising team selections. I must say, I've been in a few. I've been in. I've been in a few visiting press conferences. They can get a bit lively, but that surprised what? me. This was Matt. Now this one I didn't know, and I was at this game. Matt Toulson told me on Twitter that Roberto Mancini. Uh, when his City team were 2-1 down to QPR on the last day of that season, 2012, when they needed to win to win the league, after the QPR second goal, and you can look on the footage and you can see him doing this, he's walking up and down the touchline, screaming, going to have to bleep this out, um, Henry, I'm afraid, screaming, F*** you, to every single one of his players. He's just walking up and down the touchline going, yeah. F you, F you, F you, F you. Well, it had, and, the, had the desired effect, didn't it? And there's also some terrific footage out there of Jim McLean, Dundee chairman, punching a BBC reporter for having the temerity <laughs> for asking him on camera whether he was going to sack his manager. Well, so that, there we that, go. That happened most weeks, by the way. I mean, all of, those three are better than, <laughs> all of those three are better than my five. To be yeah. fair, all of but John Sitton, you you missed out there, didn't you? I mean, that, yeah. that was he. That was that was so good. Bring your dinner, bring, bring your dinner. dinner. Uh, sacking a player, sacking a player at half time. I thought about doing that to you a couple of times on this podcast, but <laughs> sadly, there's no one else we can get to come in. There's no one else we can get to come in so early on a Monday yeah, morning. Well, maybe so people don't want to put up with you. So to bring the. Uh, <laughs> So petty, it was just so petty. Always got to have a last word, haven't you? Always got to have a last word. You must have been so annoying to train with. Hold that thought, we'll be back right after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now, bring the tone down. We are really going to bring the tone down here. On to... um, a little bit of uh, grim stuff, really. Trouble at West Brom versus Wolves. Um, a referee chased off the pitch at Port Vale. Um, so I was watching the West Brom uh, situation on the television in the press room at Anfield yesterday. One of those things where it starts and you think, oh, there's just a little bit of little bit of nonsense going on. No big deal. And then 20 minutes later, you realise it's quite a big deal. So the, as, as, as we know, the game was, players had to leave the field. Trouble in the... In the West Brom section, we, we think because there were Wolves fans in there with tickets for the wrong section, it got very ugly indeed. Um, uh, it turns out it was the family section as well, players having to rescue their own children. Um, arrests made, um, game didn't start again for 30 or 40 minutes. Um, for two things, firstly. ITV should have shown it 
That, that ITV, ITV cut away from it. Yeah, don't well, get I'm that. Not, don't get so, that. Yeah, don't I'm get not, that. I'm not so sure on you know what the what Chris, the it's, it's uh, a, it's procedure a, it's protocol a, it's is. It's an that. unfolding news event. It's an unfolding news but event. That, but that's your opinion. I'm not so sure what the, uh, the rules mate, are on that. S- serious injuries on the pitch. I get it. Nobody needs to see that. It, uh, health issues in the crowd. Absolutely. Privacy. All the rest of it. Nobody needs to see that. That's an unfolding news event. I don't see I don't see TV cameras turning away from riots in the street. Well, you when, you when, know that better. So than that that okay. irritated me. That is you know we are grown ups and for those of us who are offended, there is an off button. So why ITV felt the need not to show it, as if to pretend it wasn't happening? I just don't get that. But what what's behind this, Chris? What's behind it? And firstly and secondly, more importantly, what do we do about it? What do we do about well, it? We know we know what we what we do about it. What, we, well, what do we do about well, it? Well, you. you 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 ban the supporters who uh, well you call them supporters. You ban the yobs who who were involved in the you know in those actions and and, and that's all you can do. It's I think you've said before and I agree with it. It's not it's not necessarily just a football thing, is it? It's a societal thing as much as as much as anything. It's not a football thing. It's it's a societal thing. Hundred percent. You go out in a in a in a town or city on a Friday night in in England, and you'll see things happening that don't happen in 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 other countries. As a as a matter of course, you know it is accepted that Friday night in a in a major conurbation in England is the busiest night of the week for the emergency services, for example. It's not like that. So it's just abroad. So there's a societal thing. Okay. But that's not to say that football can't address it because it's football. If it's society's problem, sadly, it's football that that, that, that dark side of our, our society has attached itself to. I think we're an angry country at, at the moment. I think we're an angry country. I think we're an and, angry country uh, politically, uh, economic, economically, culturally. I think there's a lot going on that, in people's heads. Any, that's excuse- not got anything to do with well, anything. But, you know, okay. So you're saying because we're an angry country, then... You know, it's people, an outlet. Pe- pe- everybody knows this is where the outlet. Like, it doesn't, you know, that doesn't give somebody the right of course to go it doesn't. And thump somebody. Of course it doesn't, mate. But I'm trying to understand why it happens. I'm not saying it's, it makes it right or excuses it. I will say that I don't think we send the right messages from the top. You and I have agreed on this before. After what happened outside Wembley the night before England played Italy in the final of Euro 2020, th- uh, two and a half years ago, it, it is shameful that Wembley has been given this season's Champions League final it's too soon it's also wrong that we've been given I think the semi-finals and the final of the next Euros it's been held here and in Scotland and Ireland and Wales it sends the wrong message that it sends the wrong message Wembley showed itself that night or that or or we all showed ourselves that night not to be ready for it so I think that's a that's the wrong message um but I will also say, people say, oh, it's like the 80s. It's not like the 80s, right? Me and my dad stopped going to football in the 80s because, they were, because we went to a game at Bolton where they were throwing darts at each other, okay? It's not like the 80s because the 80s, it happened all the time. It happened all the time. It's not like the 80s, but it is on the rise. I think, I think things like cocaine play a part in it, so the, so the police tell us. Um, and the one thing that we have in our favour, CCTV, um, social media, so there is no hiding place for these idiots like there was in the in in the eighties. You you don't get away with it these even if you're in the mob. So so you you find them and you and you ban them and that's it. Banning orders, that's it. You send the right you send the right message. In terms of the clubs, I, I, I spoke to someone at a club last year when there'd been an incident 
um, about how it works very, very quickly without getting into the boring details. And a big Premier League game, we normally have about 500 stewards. Some of, some of them, those will be from private firms. Some of those will prevent, some of those will possess qualifications in crowd control. Uh, people say, why, why are there not more police? I've asked that question before. Where are the police when we need them as a deterrent? The police bill for a big Premier League game is upwards of 50 grand. Now, you could argue that's small beer when, it, when you put that in, when you put that in, uh, in relation to players' wages. Um, pat downs when you go into uh, to the ground. Um, I don't know what happened yesterday at, at um, the Hawthorns. So I'm not going to pretend I do, but generally, as a rule of thumb, pat downs of supporters to see if they're carrying pyrotechnics or any such thing or anything they shouldn't, drugs, etc., only tend to happen at the away end. So that means that any any people who have infiltrated the wrong end get away with it and there was a guy I spoke to at a big Premier League club last year who just said to me he said look he said there's only so much we can do this was a quote from him he said without a battalion of fusiliers stationed around the perimeter of a pitch what chance do we have if 2,000 people decide to stampede all at the same time this is not complacency it's realism and you know I understand that I understand that and and also um you know, people who people who who uh, do the stewarding. I mean, how much are they being paid? Correct. So, so when it starts kicking off, why, why? You know, if you're on a whatever it is a minimum wage yeah. or, or or a pittance, why are you going to absolutely you know, try and break up a you know a fight between football yeah, hooligans? Yeah. Just 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 one thing on this. Um, there wasn't any trouble at the. Uh, at the uh, Newcastle Sunderland mm. uh, game was, and I think there there was a, there was a, a an approach from the from the police in the northeast where I think I'm right in saying that uh, that Newcastle fans weren't allowed into any uh, any pubs, mm. uh, they all got picked, and, yeah. and they got and they got bussed from mm. the Newcastle Stadium, didn't they? So mm. so I think there were precautions taken there, and maybe that's something which. You know, other in other sort of um, ferocious the, derbies that uh, that you know people, police elsewhere can you know yeah. possibly copy that mo- model because they 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 expected trouble but they diffused it mm. before. But again, you're talking about pricing and yeah. numbers and and cost. I mean, look, essentially these days, actually the majority of football hooliganism, if that's what you want to call it happens away from stadiums because the organisation is pretty good. It doesn't, hop- it doesn't often happen outside stadiums. It doesn't often happen inside stadiums. And this one was caused because, for some reason, Wolves fans, it seems, were able to get tickets for for the home end. Um, anyway, let's uh, look. I'm sure we'll be back to that subject. You know, um, And as I say, it, it's the, the only hope we have is that the, the deterrent is in punishment and with all the um, technology we have these days every single one of those offenders yesterday should at some point be identified and we hope so Um, right before we lift the mood again and go into some proper FA Cup joy I just want to tell everybody about uh, something special that's happening this week this is the last week of the transfer window which means that there will be a version of this show every day this week our it's all uh, kicking off transfer week specials will take place Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and there'll be a wrap up on Friday. 
Um, Chris and I will do our usual show again, our usual weekend preview show on Thursday morning, but there'll be a, then there'll be a transfer special in the afternoon. Uh, we will have uh, experts from our own staff uh, telling you about all the break, break, latest breaking transfer news, offering opinion, insight, comment. I really wouldn't want to miss it. We will be Give here. Give us a snippet, come on. Tell us, tell us something well, which, come on, give, I th- us, give well, us something. Well, I know for a fact that one of our first guests, I think, tomorrow um, is due to be Craig Hope, who's our expert on everything that moves but, in Newcastle. They're not buying anyone. Uh, well, I would, I, I'm, Craig will be able to tell us. Well, <laughs> well, do you want to come on? <laughs> I mean, I notice that you're... No, do we, give by us, the way, come on, give us an exclusive. You're, you're, you're up for awards. You're, you're up not, for all these journalistic awards. Well, tell us something. It's it's not a coincidence that you're not listed to appear on any of these trans <laughs> any any of these transfer specials. By the way, and there's a, yeah, there, and there's a, a reason that, well, for that, that. Yeah, that was okay. in my contract. Right, I don't look, do you transfer may, you may specials. Ta- you may take the piss out. Come of on, me. give us something. You may take give the piss. Us a tra- give, come you on, give the listeners a transfer. Take, big big move. Come you on. may take the piss out of me for not knowing enough for that. But we will have people on. Craig Where are your contacts? What's happened to journalism? Hang on a minute. Whenever I mention that, oh, well, I was talking something football, you just look at me as if I'm making it up, like you did before with the, with the manager thing and the clock thing. You just look like I'm making it up. Anyway, before Chris got in the way, that was my plug. So please, make sure you're here tomorrow. That'll be the first one. Um, it's all kicking off. Transfer Week specials. Now, there was some proper magic of the cup. Thank goodness for that. Um, Newport Man United was was fascinating, but Ipswich Maidstone was absolutely magnificent. Um, so Maidstone, I'm just looking at my, my notes here, the lowest ranked team to reach the fifth round of since, the FA Cup. Since, since 1978, Blyde Spartans. Yeah, okay, you watched Match of the Day as well. Since Blyde Spartans in 1978. Guy Moby, the Match of the Day commentator, called it a joy and a privilege to be at Portman Road on Saturday. And having watched the highlights, I can understand completely what he meant by that. Now, Maidstone have made, apparently, before that game, had already made a quarter of a million pounds out yeah. of the FA Cup. And, they'll, and they'll, 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 make, they'll make more now. And that, to me, just tells me... That I know we, we, we've been here before, right? But it tells us a, a little bit about why the FA Cup is still important. And I'm glad, because in order to keep the FA Cup relevant, in the minds of those people who would rather it just be kind of swept away on a tide of indifference. Um, you need these games. You need these little things to happen because that does show us that it's still that it's still there. It is harder. The gaps between the big clubs and the smaller clubs are getting bigger. This, all the smaller clubs play on better pitches. We touched on that before the Newport game. But it can, it, it can still happen. And I, I was just chuffed, I was just chuffed, chuffed to bits by it. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're right. You're right, though, about the competition needing uh, you know, a, a Maidstone story because everybody talks about the you know the cup losing its 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 magic and not being prioritised by certain clubs. Um, so, so I think you know we did we did need that, and we need. I don't care what anybody says. You talk about the money for Maidstone. Mm. We need uh, to keep having FA Cup replays because it's not all about. The Premier League. It's about the importance of clubs further down the the chain, and this is this is a debate which keeps keeps coming up. And you know, we know Premier League clubs only want one tie, um, but I think the, that that uh, that replays are. I, I really hope that we uh, you know continue to, had, to um, stick with replays. I had quite a, a depressing chat with somebody at a big foot, Premier League football club last week, um, 
uh, I, I don't mind telling this story because I made my feelings quite clear on the on, on the call. Um, it, it 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 was a it was a subject that it was a conversation that started around the Club World Cup, which we know will now be played um, every four years in the summer thirty-two team tournament. The first one will be next year in America, and this guy was just saying to me how much he was uh, uh, if his club were to get in it, how they would look for and how incredible it would be, incredible it would be to have the biggest teams in the world playing in the Club World Cup. And I said, yeah, but the biggest clubs in the world, the best teams in the world already play each other in the Champions League because like it or not, they're all European. And he said, oh no, but imagine, imagine like Manchester United or Chelsea versus Barcelona in New York in the summer. It will be incredible. And he said, and the fact is, that, let's face it, people would much rather watch that than all those kind of insignificant, irrelevant FA Cup games that people keep banging on about. And that is when your heart sinks because that's the view. That is the view amongst the, amongst the big clubs. They honestly, they look at, and it's hard to make sweeping generalisations, of course, but I'm, I'm doing it. They look at things like the FA Cup and the replays. And, oh, that's just, for the, that's just for the little people. That's just for those people. Who watches it? What are the numbers? What are the TV but, numbers? Yeah, and that totally misses the point. It does it totally miss the point. The point. Uh, it misses the point. Honestly, that's a betrayal. It's a betrayal of heritage. It, it re- if we only ever made a call on football in terms of how many people watch it, then the game will fall apart. Right, but the biggest thing um, with the replays and whatever, and you, you know, understand what you're saying about the Club World Cup, I, don't, I, I, I totally agree with you. It's about the survival of the clubs further down the, the scale. And, uh, and the importance of that money you've mentioned what quarter of a million that was before the, to, that was before they played to, Ipswich yeah to Maidstone that, mm. that gives them the opportunity to actually kick on and and progress so mm. that's and, and, that, 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 that's why it, it is absolutely vital but I, I, I don't know whether a lot of people care but it, it you know it's certainly extremely important and I know that we were all we would all have loved Mason Mason to be drawn at home in the next round. Of course we would. We'd all would love them to see Fulham at home. And you're laughing because you've seen that social yeah. media shot <laughs> of, of the the disappointment of the Maidstone fans when the draw was made. But the fact is that when they go to the winners of Sheffield Wednesday versus Coventry in the next, yeah, it's not glamorous particularly. But a if they can beat Ipswich, they can beat them. But also, they'll make a load more money because they'll get a share of those gate receipts again. Mm-hmm. And that is kind yeah, absolutely. of that is kind of what it's uh, what it's all about. <laughs> right, come on, moments of the weekend. You first. Uh, well, I'm going to go moments of the week if I can. Um, Harry, Harry who? Harry. Winning the traitors. Did you watch the traitors? Oh, the traitors. I don't. I don't watch television. BBC. Unbelievable. <laughs> I don't watch television. Unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable program about skullduggery and trying to win a cash prize at the end. And basically, uh, Harry was a traitor from the start. You have traitors and faithfuls. Harry was a traitor from the start. People get voted out. You have banishments where you sit around uh, a round table. And you look people in the eye and you have to decide who you want to be uh, voted out. And then the traitors can murder people. Oh, and Harry uh, on the evening and Harry was a traitor and he went through and he played everybody like a piccolo. He played them brilliantly. And even even at the end when there was a guy, there were three left and a guy had sussed him. There was a, a girl called Molly at the end who sort of had, I think you could describe it as puppy eyes for, for Harry 
and and uh, they ended up voting the other guy out, and this just Harry sounds, ended up taking the lot. A genius. This just sounds a little bit like the genius, ins- a genius traitor. Honestly, this unbelievable. Sa- this sounds like the inside of the Manchester United dressing room. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> Although it's quite. I'd love to see you on there, oh, but no. the, but so yeah, the, my, I, I think people vote certainly no, peop- small people out. Don't they? I, I ain't got a poker face. I haven't got a poker no, face. Be, I, I'd be no good at that, mate. I'd be no good you. at that. Right. Um, my moment of the weekend is actually about football, bizarrely. Oh. Um, Yao Pedro. Uh, for Brian. Yao Pedro? Oh, you always pull me up on pronunciations. <laughs> Go on then, you <laughs> Portuguese linguistic expert. <laughs> no, no, I've never Go heard that. Jao. Who is Yao Pedro? Jao. Is it Jao? Joao Pedro. Joao. Oh, Joao. <laughs> you ridiculous, you. You've never, you've never even on. been abroad and you talk to me, <laughs> talk to me like talk to me like you. How um, dare you? Right, Joao Pedro at Brighton. Brilliant hat-trick in their 5-2 win at Sheffield United on Saturday. He scored, penalties. He scored 18 goals in uh, all competitions now. Um, looks a player, 30 million quid from, from Watford. I was going to say, oh, Brighton have done it again. But I mean, they kind of have done it again. I mean, okay, so this one is—it's not like Casado, who they bought for about a, you know a bag of nuts and a Mars bar. He paid proper money for this lad. But again, they found one that other clubs have kind of missed. Anyway, this my point is: two penalties. You touched on it expertly taken. He said afterwards that he takes three penalties every day before training, and all season so far. He's missed one. So I went home and did the maths on that. Tried to work out how many days training you do a week, how many how many weeks of the season and pre-season we've had so far. And I worked it out. If he's true to his word, he's taken about 360 penalties so far this season and he's missed one of them. I, I thought you were going to say you, you went home and... Well, 10,000 hour rule but but it plays to that debate doesn't it about oh some managers say no point practicing penalties because you can't um, you can't replicate the atmosphere and the pressure which I've always thought is a load of bollocks because essentially they talk about muscle memory and repetitive practice like you just touched on and watching him take those penalties on Saturday he made it look like the easiest thing in the world so there you go, girls and boys. If you Your want be, moment of the week if, was Brighton beating. If you Sheffield want to be United, good, the bottom the, team. Boys and girls. Well, at least it was about football. Um, girls and boys, if you want to be good what at something, life. go and practice. Um, right. So there we go. That is it. We, we will. Uh, we'll leave it there. Um, again, uh, just another. Just another reminder about what we've got coming up this week. That it's all kicking off. Uh, transfer week specials. Every day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, wrap-up show Friday. Um, don't miss them. They'll just be 15 or 20 minutes long, but you'll learn a lot from them. Analysis, um, late, latest news, uh, breaking news, comment. Please make sure you join us uh, for that. You will please know that Chris won't be on them. Um, How do you know? Other, because I've seen the list. Or you're not invited. Other, th- other than that, uh, please remember, if, you en- if you're enjoying the show, to subscribe to it. It's really important to us. Um, leave some comments. Leave some reviews. Uh, please let us know what you think about Chris's five all-time great Premier League managers. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be some reasonable uh, debate to be had around that. And all that's left to, to say is make sure that you're back again every day this week, but also Thursday, because we will do our usual show on Thursday. And we'll be back again next Monday for the next episode of uh, this one. Uh, I'm Ian Laderman, the chap to my left, who I believe has got yet another horse on his farm at home. That's 
13 now is Chris Sutton and this has been It's All Kicking Off. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 